Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazor. And today, despite the fact that my camera is not, <laughs> we are co- and as soon as I say that, it gets worse. <laughs> we are going to be covering football news, men's and women's cats ball, and then, of course, the wacky segment of the week. <laughs> the camera's getting worse, and now it's back. Okay, uh, this is probably top five weirdest openings that we've had, but we're just going to go straight into the football news. Normally, this is where we have football recruiting, but there isn't any recruiting news. But unfortunately, we do have to say goodbye to someone that Connor and I were were very high on ever since he signed on, and that was the wide receivers coach of Thad Ward. He is now going to leave to be the running backs coach at Illinois. And I've seen a lot of discourse that was saying, you know, we should have you know, this is why we need to up assistant salaries. And yeah, I agree. We probably do. I'm not entirely sure that's why he left. I think he played Illinois. So, or like wasn't yeah. part of a staff. But. He, I know that he coached there at one point. I think he, he was on a staff and he may have played there as well. Yeah. But like, I, I am sad to see Thad Ward go especially considering the development of the receivers that we had this last year. I know you're going to attribute some of that to the offense, some of that to Thad Ward, some of that to being, you know, an increase in quarterback play, at least in their ability to distribute the ball. But, you know, I, it still sucks because he was also instrumental in getting a lot of our receiver targets. Like, I believe it was like Andre Davis in particular and Keegan Johnson. He had a really, really good relationship with. So, you know, it's, it's just kind of sad to see him go. I, I'm, I'm not sure who the leading candidates are to replace him. Connor and I have our theories, but we're not going to really speculate because we know exactly negative on, <laughs> on what will happen. But yeah. Connor, what do you think about, about that word leaving? Yeah, it does like kind of suck a bit. I mean, definitely, I I do think that some of the development and increased production from the receiver room can be attributed to um the offense, especially in the latter half of the season where we started passing a lot more. But also, Thad Ward does have a part to play in that too. He he had a a really big hand in that. He also said it well they that he had a really big hand in getting some of those receiver targets that we in the past probably would not have gotten even last, even last year uh, or the year before, I guess at this point, we probably wouldn't have gotten them. Uh, but instead we now have probably the best young receiver group that we've had in a really long time. Uh, so it does really stink to lose Thad Ward. I feel like he was a really good addition, but it's hard to blame him uh, for uh, wanting to get back to a place that he probably considers home. Uh, and I, I don't blame him at all. I imagine, well, I, I mean, I'll, I'll put it like this. I'm not worried about our staff's ability to make a hire at this point. I, I think that Kleiman has more than earned uh, a degree of trust uh, from the fan base in uh, making staff additions and making the right call when he needs to on who to bring in. So, it may be an internal hire. It may be somebody that we know. It might be a completely random candidate that we 
probably weren't thinking about much before, kind of like Thad Ward was. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, I'd imagine it'll be a pretty quiet search. Maybe we'll get some tidbits here and there. But regardless, I'm looking forward to it. It's unusual for staff to stay together uh, for like completely intact year to year. So figured at least one departure would happen. I was hoping since we made it to February that it wouldn't quite happen, but it is what it is. I will miss him, but I don't think this is the end of the world or anything. I'm looking forward to seeing who we get to replace him. Yeah, I am as well. But the other bit of football news is the 20-23 schedule just dropped for football. And just in short, it is SEMO, Southeast Missouri at home, Troy at home, MU at MU, UCF at home to open conference play. We're opening up home in conference play. I know it's a revolutionary concept. Our bye week is after that. Then Oklahoma State in Stillwater, Texas Tech in Lubbock, Texas Christian, TCU at home, Houston at home, Texas in Austin, Baylor at home, KU in Lawrence. That's still going to be a glorified home game. And then Iowa State at home. So, well, what do you, well, I I guess broad strokes, what do you think of the schedule? Is there there anyone that you would have rather not faced? Anyone that you would have rather faced? Or just what what are your general thoughts? Um, I kind of wanted to get OU one more time just for like to get another win on the schedule early. But beyond that, um, this is a probably roughly what I was expecting. Um, it's interesting that we're starting um, conference play with a home game against a new school. Uh, kind of similar to how when uh, the Big 12 first started in 1996, we played the first game uh, of that new conference uh, against Texas Tech, which was one of the expansion teams, and that was a home game. So, And then, yeah, you also said it. I was shocked that we start conference play at home, uh, which is super nice. I guess we've moved up in the priority order to start. <laughs> start I know that's not how it works, but... Yeah. Um, only thing that does really stink about that is that we get our bye week really early, uh, which I'd rather have that bye week in the like the middle of October ish. Yeah. And then uh also we pay the price for that uh um starting the Big Twelve at home because uh, then we get a bye week and then two away games. So we go pretty much a month. Uh I'm just just under a month without a home game. Yeah. And throwing that Mizzou game, you get over well over a month of having just one uh, home game. So it, it'll kind of stink that kind of middle portion of the season there, but then we get that nice little home streak and then alternate to end the year. But I don't know. What are your thoughts? Ace? I didn't want to play Texas. I, I really didn't. And it has nothing to do with you. Oh, they're scared of Texas. They don't want to play them. I just think they're annoying. I just really would rather not play them again because their fan base and everything about them annoys me. And if there's one school that I wanted to play, like I would trade just about any, any non-rival on this schedule for playing Cincy. And that's because I've been so excited for K-State to play Cincinnati. The, like, that's something that I was, I wanted to see like as an out of conference game. I thought that'd be an awesome game. I still think it will be even with the new coaching staff at Cincy. But alas, it was not meant to be this year. But other than that, you know, the back-to-back home games with TCU and Houston will be nice. 
But, you know, we have to – although we start the Big 12 play at home, we had to, of course, get our first away Big 12 game in Oklahoma. That habit's not going to die. <laughs> it's yeah. not going to die. That's a tradition that will die hard. Uh, that and um, I was a little bit disappointed that we weren't quite able to get that Mizzou game moved to Arrowhead. I know there was some steam around that at one point, yeah. but just I guess it didn't materialize. Uh, I mean, it's it's only another like hour and a half to Columbia from Arrowhead, so it's not a huge deal. But I oh, I was hopeful it would have been cool to get an Arrowhead game against a, a nearby rival. Um, that's pretty much equidistant to Arrowhead um, as we are. So that would have been pretty cool. But yeah, this is a pretty solid schedule. Playing KU and Iowa State in back-to-back weeks is interesting. Um, Not sure how I feel about it or if there really even should be a reason to feel any particular way about it, but I guess we'll see. Um, that Both of the uh, new um, Big 12 teams that we face, uh, those are both home games. I figured that we would um, go on the road for at least one of them, but we get both at home. Yeah, we also get uh, five home Big Twelve games. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. I, I, I'm, I'm happy about that. Um, overall, we get a was it seven? seven. Uh, yeah, seven home games. So yeah, it kind of works out with having that uh, game not at home uh, with Mizzou. Uh, um, because I mean, eight home games. I mean that we'd be we'd be getting spoiled at that point to have eight home games in this season. I love ticket it. Ticket to get ticket havers would be eating good. They would. That would be pretty fantastic. But no, yeah, I I'm just happy it's finally out. I guess is perhaps <laughs> the biggest thing because there's always a lot of uh, hype around the release of the schedule, but. The end of the day, you just kind of you just play the teams in front of you. I mean, going into the year, you only know the. Uh, or like up until like about this point, you only ever know the non-conference games because you. I mean, we know non-conference games like ten years out at this point. But, yeah. Although, kind of that future, the future scheduling of non-conference games has kind of slowed down recently. It seems like. Yeah. I think people. I think people might have realized how ridiculous it is to like <laughs> schedule that far out for yeah. all of your non-conference. So, at least I'm hopeful. But um, speaking of non-conference, we played Troy, who was the the G5 darling of this last year because they were quite good. Of schools not named Tulane, that is. Yeah, of schools not named Tulane, obviously. But, you know, I, they're a good squad. I, I'll Whenever we do the write-ups, it'll be interesting to see exactly what they lost and if they gained anything. But, yeah, that's the, that's the schedule for next year. I'm excited about it, other than the Texas game, because – Man, which of the games is on a Friday? Uh, that's the Oklahoma State away game. Okay. Uh, that's a that's a Friday night game. I I'd imagine it's night. I I can't confirm that, but it it'll be a night game. I'd Friday imagine. eight a.m. Yeah, that that would be interesting. Uh, don't think that'll happen, but oh yeah, that'll be a little weird to kind of take some adjusting. It'll make for an interesting Saturday. Uh, because it's not often that K State has weekday games. Uh, I know that. Texas game last year was a Black Friday game. Uh, it, it's a little different though to yeah. play on like a holiday Friday as opposed to just like a random bike Friday. And we played a gosh, we played like a one random conference game 
on like a Thursday or Friday at one point, like in the not so distant past. I think it was Baylor maybe, which I had forgotten that that was like a Friday or whatever. But yeah, uh, Stanford, uh, that was an away game uh, that we played. Uh, that was a Friday night to open the season. Auburn is like the big one, the Thursday game that everybody always remembers. But um, I know that going into the COVID year before COVID hit, when the schedule was still normal, we were supposed to play Iowa State on a Thursday. So, uh, or a Thursday or Friday or something. But of course, that did not happen. So, yeah, yeah. But now, yeah, pretty unusual uh, weekday game for K State seems like we've been able to avoid those for a while now, but I'd imagine with the new TV deal, we'll probably be playing a few more just to get into more advantageous slots, but we'll see. We will see. Yeah, that's the football news. Now we can move into men's catsketball, starting off with the men's part of, why did I say the men's part? The K-State part of the Big 12 SEC Challenge. K-State ended up playing up against Florida, which is Keontae Johnson's former team. We ended up winning 64-50 to in a game that never felt particularly close. Before we talk about this game in particular, Florida is just coming off of beating number two in the country, Tennessee. So yeah. this victory suddenly looks infinitely better than it did yeah. at the time. And, yeah. and for clarification, that game was after uh, our game against yeah. them. So we beat them by 14, and they went out and beat uh, Tennessee by 12 or 13 um, pretty out of the blue win because Florida has been having a pretty mediocre season yep. uh, up until this point uh, that makes them what 13 nine and like six and three in the SEC they are feeling like an NIT team right now I think in Todd Golden's first year they played really good defense but man they had a really bad offense <laughs> I mean just pretty much completely ineffective offensively for most of the game with the exception yeah. of I'd say like the beginning of the second half and then like at the very end of the game they got like a few decent possessions but they just barely squeaked their way to 50 points in this one and they only had 16 at half uh, shy 18% from three on the day 31% from the field much better in the second half from the field uh, they doubled their uh, field goal percentage exactly because they had the same amount of shot attempts. Uh, but yeah, not the best showing uh, for Florida. Luckily for K-State, although some of that did have to do with uh, with K-State really playing a pretty great game uh, defensively. Yeah. I know you like taking starters first. So you know what? You can take starters for both of the men's games because I want to talk about the starters for the women's games. Okay. I'll allow that. Uh, Keontae Johnson on uh, his, uh, I don't know if it's fair to call it a revenge game, but I can't think of a, a better word, I guess, to revenge game. Um, had a pretty solid performance. He comes away with a double double, uh, didn't shoot particularly efficiently, five of 16 from the field, missed his one three point attempt, uh, three or four at the free throw line, made, and he ended up with 13 points. And then he had 11 rebounds, one of them was offensive, then he had one assist, two turnovers, and two steals. Uh, then also uh, an unfortunate missed windmill dunk uh, that went in in our hearts. I forgot uh, about that. <laughs> we should probably leave it in the past, but 
I, I appreciate him attempting, and we were already up by double digits late, so I didn't mind it. But uh, he wasn't able to convert there. Uh, Marquise Noel, he also finished with 13 points in this game, although on fewer shots, four of nine from the field, two of four from three, three of five at the free throw line, uh, nine rebounds, eight assists, uh, five turnovers, two steals. So Marquise Noel was dangerously close to getting a triple double. Uh, I don't remember the last time a case a player had a triple double or it hasn't happened. ever happened. It's it never happened. happened. Really? Mm-mm. That is surprising. I'm I'm pretty surprised by that. Actually, I figured that we would have had at least one, but wow! Now Marquise Noel was uh, one rebound and two assists away from the first ever K State triple double, um, but just not quite able to do it. I think all those assists came in the first half as well. So he yeah. wasn't quite able to get over the hump, unfortunately. But you know, at the end of the day, can't complain too much. We won. Naquan Tomlin, he only played uh, 24 minutes in this one. Went 4 of 11 from the field, 0 of 1 from 3. 3 of 4 at the free throw. I had 6 rebounds, 1 assist. Uh, ended up with 11 points on the day for Naquan Tomlin. He had a solid game. And continued to showcase uh, some of his high-level potential. Uh, Cam Carter had a solid day. 4 of 7 from the field, 1 of 3 from 3. Uh, had... Five rebounds, four assists, no turnovers, two steals. Uh, finishes with nine points. Had uh, some nice layups early, made a, a big three. Uh, kind of finding his groove as a role player as of late, it would seem. And then the last starter is for the first time uh, since December, uh, due to injury, David Gasson found himself back in the starting lineup. Uh, played 20 minutes in this game, had nine points, including... Uh, uh, some really nice post work against uh, Florida's uh, big guy, Castleton. Uh, made him look silly in the first half on a few pump fakes. Uh, so Gasson goes 4-5 from the field, 1-2 at the free throw line. One rebound, one foul, two steals. And then adds a mu- added some much-needed defensive versatility to our lineup. So really, really big to have him back, even though he only played 20 minutes. We don't really need him to play any more than that. But he did a really nice job uh, containing... Uh, to a, a relative degree, Castleton of Florida is their their big guy. Yep. Outside of the starting five, you had Ish Rasud who played 21 minutes, one of five from the field, one of four from three, made both of his free throws, six rebounds, two fouls, five total points. Abayami Ijiola only played five minutes, one of one from the field, two rebounds, two fouls, two total points. Desi Sills was played 22 minutes, 0 of 5 from the field, 0 of 2 from 3, 1 of 2 on his free throw attempts. Uh, five rebounds, ended up fouling out with one assist in two turnovers. And then, of course, the most impactful stat line of the day is Nate Aubrey played one minute, 0 of 1 from the field, 0 of 1 from 3, 1 of 2 from the free throw line, ended up getting one turnover and one total point. Then Tyke Green, so Desi Sills and Nate Aubrey tied for points. Tyke Green played 10 minutes, 0-1 from the field, 0-1 from three. Two rebounds, two fouls, and that is his stat line. So, you know, no insane standouts here other than the near triple-double in terms of points. But, hey, I'll take I'll take everyone contributing a little bit to contribute to an ultimate, like a Wildcat victory. Yeah, can't really complain too much about about that. Would like more bench production, but 
we only scored 64 points. Uh, so it, it didn't really matter because our defense was doing a really, really good job in this one. Uh, pretty telling that Bebe does slip down to five minutes after the return of David Gasson. Uh, I think that's probably Bebe's best position on this team, which is a a spot guy that can come in and be a fresh body um, as a big and just play solid defense, grab a couple boards, take, take some open shots if he gets them at the rim. Uh, but yeah, other than that, not really many notable uh, bench performances. Ishmasu did a really good job rebounding. I guess it's worth mentioning that. Uh, three offensive rebounds is massive, especially coming off of that Iowa State game uh, where none of our bigs, uh, Naquan Tomlin, Ishmasu, and Bebe, they didn't get any rebounds. Naquan had six in this one. Ish had six, and then Bebe had two in just five minutes. So... Really impressive stuff from them to kind of hear the message and uh, really build and uh, get a a significantly better rebounding performance. Yeah. So that's the Florida game. Now we can talk about this is one of those where I kind of I don't want to skim it because it's an important game. But, you know, it's it's one of those that's probably going to be more less stats, more actual discussion of the game. That is the second half of the Sunflower Showdown in Lawrence, Kansas. KU ended up winning 90 to 78. And, you know, just do you want to do the, the general talk first or do you want to do stats first? Um, we can roll through stats real quick just to okay. set up some context. But okay. I'll I'll start with the starters. Uh, Marquise Noel led in scoring. Uh, 23 points, a lot of them at the free throw line. Went 5 of 18 from the field, 3 of 11 from 3, 10 of 11 the free throw line. Uh, three rebounds, four assists, five turnovers, two steals. Uh, so scored a lot, but not really in an efficient manner. And uh, had a lot of turnovers as well, uh, especially in the first half. We had some really bad passes, uh, especially late. That was really when we lost that game. Because second half was dead even, scoring 41 to 41. But we just lost that game. Uh, at the very end of the first half, just an awful end and stretch to that. Uh, Keontae Johnson played 36 minutes at 22 points, uh, seven and 19 from the field, two, four from three, six to seven at the free throw line, 12 rebounds, uh, four fouls, two turnovers, um, missed a, a couple of dunks. One was a very frustrating miss. The other one, he was actually fouled, but it wasn't called. Um, but it was still frustrating. He missed it anyways, cause he should have made it, but yeah. Naquan Tomlin, uh, 32 minutes, 4-7 from the field, 1-2 of two from 3, made 2 free throws, had 8 rebounds, um, 1 assist, and 11 points. So, pretty solid night uh, for him. Stuff the stat sheet, and I didn't mention it, but Keontae Johnson, uh, another double-double uh, for him. David Gasson, once again, played exactly 20 minutes, 2 of 6 from the field, um, and some head-scratching misses right at the rim, including a wide-open layup that... I, th- I honestly think that you or I could have made, yeah. but we, we, that, uh, that's a story that we can talk about after six of eight from the line for Gasson. That's actually an impressive stat line for him. He was sub 50% from the free throw line, uh, on the season six of eight at the stripe is huge for David Gasson. So it ultimately did not matter, but I, I will say that I was thoroughly impressed by that. I think I had six rebounds. Four of those were offensive rebounds. And he had one assist as well, finishes with 10 points. Cam Carter had three points, made one of two three-point attempts, one of four total from the field. 
four rebounds, two assists, two turnovers, and a steal. Uh, only played 19 minutes, um, but had an okay game, but didn't really impact a ton. Uh, played some solid defense, but uh, that's relative, I guess, to this game because KU was just kind of shooting the lights out, especially in the first half. But... Yeah, it, not much to say about the bench. Desi had seven, Ish had two. So, it, you know, we can every single time you go into Allen, the the main narrative is going to be, oh, the the referees, like, oh, Allen Fieldhouse home cooking. He's like, yeah, there were some fouls that weren't called. Those fouls would not have changed the outcome of this game. Because the the number one thing that that this game came down to was just some some very strange like if you look at this stat line just as a pure numbers perspective, you'll want a little more like you want a little higher on the f- field goal percentage and you're fine with a three point percentage. That doesn't tell the story because that that field goal percentage Im- like seems to imply that they were taking some pretty difficult shots and they just weren't landing. No, a lot of those were pretty easy shots that we ended up missing. <laughs> you know, you have the the easy one to Gasson. You had the the two yams from KJ ended up not going in. I seem to remember Naquan having, you know, a, a bra moment a couple of times in the game. Ish, I could have sworn Ish hit a three. The stat line doesn't say so. But I distinctly remember Ish hitting a three. I could be incorrect. I have been before. I will say there were a lot of long twos in this game where a guy's toe was on the line. So it may have been one of those. Like there was an unusually high number of shots that looked like threes, felt like threes, and like the players acted like they were threes, but like their toe was on the line. So it was two. That's probably what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. But yeah, I. Make no mistake, K-State lost this game. There's no one else that they can really blame but themselves. And in a sense, if I were a player, I would take comfort in that because if it's my fault, I can improve on it. So I unfortunately, this is one of those cases where the, the, the answer is just shoot a little bit better and make the easy ones. Yeah. I think especially make the easy ones and correct sloppy play because in the first half, especially uh, we played really sloppily for a while. Second half, we played okay. Uh, And in that regard, we didn't really turn over as much. The offense wasn't as good. Uh, We didn't make as many shots as we needed to. We got to the free throw line a ton in the second half because they were whistling everything in this game. Uh, both teams, uh, K-State with 36 free throws, KU with 35. I mean, they were just going nuts on the foul calls in this game. There were some pretty bad ones uh, and some just general inconsistencies. But again, yeah, the the calls are bad. We definitely got screwed a few times. But at the end of the day, that's generally just how officiating has been this year. It's been inconsistent and not good for the most part. So this isn't anything unusual. Granted, you do expect it going into Allen as a team that isn't KU. I know KU fans like to say that like it doesn't change in Allen. It's not it's Jerome Tang says something to that effect. Uh he shouldn't have, but <laughs> he's also right. And there there is a bit of a difference uh, in Allen. But I don't really like talking about it too much because it's just whiny. 
Uh, and it doesn't change. It doesn't change anything unless there's something particularly egregious that changed the outcome of the game. I don't think there was one official call that changed the outcome. You could argue the only one there's an argument for is the questionable charge call on Cam Carter uh, in the second half because we were kind of narrowing the gap at that point, and that was definitely not a charge. In fact, he barely touched him. Uh, it should not have been a charge call. You can argue that, but there's other bad calls in the game that didn't really change much, like Gasson, like like standing there and like touching the air and getting called for a shooting foul or something. Like didn't yeah. really matter that much in the grand scheme. Terrible call, but it's not like it mattered. At the end of the day, like, I think we're on the same page here. We just got outplayed by a talented team, and a lot of it was self-inflicted in the first half. Uh, it wasn't a talent issue because uh, we know that we can beat this team, that we've, we've done it. And uh, it, it just comes down to we we didn't step up in the first half. I think we were playing nervous in the first half and trying too hard to make the, the big play. And it just wasn't really working. But we did shoot a bit better in the first half. But just uh, too inconsistent. Uh, this, and then uh, we just didn't really play the sound basketball, fundamentally sound basketball in the first half, especially. Uh, just like, hey, you go on one too many runs. And KU is one of the streakiest teams in college basketball when they yeah. want to be. And I mean, if they want to go on a run, they're probably going to go on a run. That's just kind of how KU is. So, you know, we, we knew it would come and we knew we had to fight back. And we also knew we'd have to get defensive stops. And we just couldn't get a defensive stop. And we know what KU is going to do. And what they're going to do almost every single time without fail uh, to really step on your throat is dribble drive, kick out, open three. Dribble drive, kick out, open three. I mean, they play modern basketball, dribble drive, kick out, open three. That's how they killed us last year. I will say, I, do, I don't think this game was as bad as last year because we still got a few stops, and I think we, we had belonged more this year. Yeah, we belonged more, but we did get beaten in this game. And it's I, I, I think this one especially hurt for K-State fans because I think we felt like because we'd already beaten them once, we might get them again, but... We're already way ahead of where we thought we were going to be. So there's going to be games like this where we kind of need to come back down to earth a little bit and remember that we're playing in the best basketball conference in the entire country, bar none. And we're just going to drop some road games against really talented teams here and there that have good environments. And that's exactly what happened. I'm not ringing the alarm bells uh, because we've got a big game against Texas. If we sweep Texas, that is huge. Because Texas oh, yeah. is in first place in the Big 12 right now. Mm-hmm. So if we can get the sweep against Texas, because we already have that road win. We already have the road win. If we can sweep them, then I think everybody forgets about this game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because KU, while they do have issues with depth, they also have you know probably one of the top starting fives in the Big 12. Even if a few of their players, Daylon Harris are massively overrated, but you know, it, it. okay. I think that this is one of those six out of 10 games. If you play them on a neutral site and an eight or nine out of 10 times games, if you play it at either home court, I, <laughs> the environment matters. So, and as much as it pains me to say, Allen was a, a, a good environment today or not today but when this game was played so that's one of those that you're like well that sucks moving on 
And moving on would be the next game up against Texas and then TCU. Both of those are home games. So, you know, and apparently the uh, the Christian and Scooby halftime act is something that they're advertising. I don't, I don't know, know what that, that is. is. I don't know, but it's also um, a stripe out. So allegedly, um, it is this guy and some dogs, and they do acrobatic displays. Apparently, it was not America's Got Talent. But what the dog yeah. doing? What are the dogs doing? I don't know. <laughs> Anywho, uh, yeah, it's also stripe out. I'm interested to see. I won't be at this game most likely, but I am interested to see if. It is like anywhere near effective. I have my doubts. I I have my doubts as well. It has not been advertised particularly well, Mm -hmm. but I I remain hopeful because if it does work, then it'll look pretty cool. But I don't know. Yeah. So that is the men's basketball team. Now we can discuss the women's basketball team. And they had their own version of the Sunflower Showdown up against KU in Lawrence. It was an 85-72 victory in favor of KU. Um, Despite the fact that Allen Fieldhouse is living up to the stereotype that I give it every single day of being an old hellhole that is falling apart at the seams because they had to stop after the first quarter because the power went out in Allen Fieldhouse. I, there are so many jokes there that I'm not even really going to bother telling any of them. I'm just going to let that piece of information hang in the air. Maybe that's evidence that it was literally their Super Bowl. It was. They were trying to do what OU did just every time they scored a touchdown, whatever. That's not what I was referring to. I know. <laughs> I know. But... Yeah, in, in terms of K-State stats, Gabby Gregory ended up playing the entire game, 40 minutes, 7 of 15 from the field, 4 of 9 from 3, 7 of 8 on her free throw attempts, 5 rebounds, 4 fouls, 3 assists, 6 turnovers, 25 total points. Uh, Jalen Glenn, 39 minutes, 4 of 11 from the field, 3 of 9 from 3, 1 of 2 on her free throws, 6 boards, 2 fouls, 5 assists, 3 turnovers. Sarah Shabatsi had herself a... Pretty solid game after a couple weeks of of all right to questionable play. Sorry, at the hiccups. She played 26 minutes, 4 of 14 from the field, 4 of 11 from 3. Didn't have any free throws. Six rebounds, ended up fouling out, unfortunately. So, you know, the, the Allen devil magic follows in the women's games too. Two assists, one turnover. Riley Glenn, 33 minutes, four of seven from the field, one of two from three, one of two from the free throw line, four rebounds, ended up fouling out, one turnover, 10 total points. And then if you had on your bingo card that Serena Sundell would be the lowest scorer of the starting five, you're lying. She played 20 minutes, two of five from the field, 0 of one from three, three of five from the free throw line, two rebounds, four fouls, one assist, four turnovers. See, that stat line kind of tells me she probably got hurt. Because the Serena Sundell gamely injury, sometimes it becomes like every 10th injury is actually a severe one where she has to step out. But you I, know. Seem, I seem to remember her missing at least some time uh, due to some sort of injury. I don't recall exactly what it was, but I, I think that you are onto something there. It's the Serena Sundell gamely injury. She's fine. 
she'll she'll be back at 100 percent allegedly <laughs> allegedly but bench there's not much to say i that we just again we just got flat out played <laughs> oh well yeah i mean we didn't even have a dreadful day from three we we shot fine from three like about what you'd expect on average but you got to do better than that i mean we went 12 of 20 12 of 34 um as a team 35.3 percent not terrible but closing out the fourth quarter one of seven that's not acceptable nope um and then as of uh on the day we made more threes and we made regular shots uh 21 total field goals 12 or threes as a 21 of 56 from the field 37.5 percent um and then 18 and 25 of the free throw line. So not quite as good as we're used to uh, from this team, but individually, nobody really had like an awful performance at the free throw line. Either they only went there once or they only missed a couple or just one. So it was just kind of added up uh, over time. Gabby Gregory, of course, had a fantastic day other than the six turnovers, uh, but 25 points is still good. And then KU started out really hot to this year. Apparently, they've kind of struggled a little bit as of late. Four and four in Big 12 play after our game against them. At uh, one point, they were top 25. I think they just lost to Baylor as well. So I think they might be four and five now. But uh, which is kind of interesting because they they looked like they might contend uh, for the conference title at one point. But um, non-conference does mysterious things, as we have learned ourselves with well, this yeah, KSA team. If, if you're taking non-con into account, you could have said that we look like contenders. Yeah, non-con only we were a fringe like top five seed like i'd say like like probably in the NCAA tournament like get to like a five line or better but no yeah just aren't quite able to take down ku emily ebert's the only player that really did much off the bench heavily greer and the lines of Moppin played four minutes combined and had one rebound and one steal combined across the two of them so Nothing really to write home about. Ever only made free throws, missed all of her shots in the field. Had three assists, two rebounds, two steals. Not a lot to say there. Pretty much all starter production uh, for the most part. But yeah, just not a fantastic performance. Um, kind of let it get away from us in the first half. Tried to claw back in the second, but just didn't really finish that well. Oh, but yeah, that's, that's a disappointing game. And, and then we just decide that we're going to be a number, another top 15 Iowa squad, like from Iowa, I should say in Bramlage Coliseum and end up beating Iowa state 78 to 77 to move to 14 and nine on the year three of seven in the big 12. I, I don't. I was at this game, and I don't really have an explanation as to how we won. We just kind of did. <laughs> it seems like one thing that we took into account is we cut down our uh, three-point uh, shot attempts significantly from the first time that we played Iowa State. Because that first time when we played Iowa State, uh, we took That's twenty-nine it. threes, and this time we only took twenty. Uh, so that's a, we also were more efficient. We were eight of 20, uh, from three, including four or five in the third quarter. Uh, so 40%, that's huge, uh, over the game, uh, 80% of the free throw line, 16 to 20, 
uh, then 27 to 57 from the field overall, 47.4%. So it looks like we had a much more balanced offense and didn't just rely on the three. And I think it's because we realized that we would be able to take advantage of Iowa State in the middle uh, and hope that they just weren't as efficient from the field as we were. And ultimately, the the difference uh, was that we made a, a few more free throws because they made one more shot, but we made three more free throws. We had the mm-hmm. exact same amount of threes. So just um, having a good day at the free throw line is ultimately what put us over the top in this game. Uh, but yeah, I was I was in the middle of studying and I'd forgotten that we had a game. So I watched like the <laughs> second half and then, uh, yeah, we go out and once again, defeat a top 15 ranked Iowa team. Uh, I, I, I guess our stats are just heavily increased at home against top 15 ranked Iowa teams, but I, I don't know what to say about it. Gabby Gregory going all 40 yet again. Guess that means she's healthy. So oh, she's back. And yeah. she went all 40, ended up scoring 27 points. Jalen Glenn, 36, 15, uh, including a massive steal at the very end of the game to kind of not, not put it away entirely, but certainly give us a lot of momentum. Uh, Serena Sundell, ended up, you know, 35, 14. Sarah Shamatsi found her shot a little bit towards the middle of the game, uh, 34 minutes, nine total points. Then the starting five, that is the starting five. I lied to you. That No, I lied to you again. Briley Glenn made up the last member of the starting five. 30 minutes, five points, four rebounds. And I, uh, oh, sure. I, <laughs> I, we, this was a pretty solid defensive day for us as well, you know, especially when you have one of the better players in the country in Ashley Jones only holding her to 17. That, that was huge. One of six from three as well. Yeah, and uh, Ashley Jones is the one that uh, Glenn uh, stole from. Uh, mm-hmm. I should be more specific than that. Jalen Glenn stole from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there are two of them. <laughs> yeah, there are. But I, uh, I, I, I was really impressed by that. Uh, that felt like a, a point in time where I feel like maybe in a different time of the season that that team would have crumbled and uh, let it up. Uh, because I remembered last year we had them on the ropes and they came back at the very last second and uh, managed to put together a comeback uh, against us. And that would have been a a massive, massive win for that K-State team last year. But we were able to come away with a big win. They were saying on the broadcast as well about Gabby Gregory, this is a little bit off topic, uh, that uh, she had been so sick that I think it was at Oklahoma State, they said, uh, that she was going back and forth from the locker room to throw up at times uh, during the game. So uh, yeah. suboptimal probably for <laughs> one's performance, I'd say. If it were me, I probably would play worse if I was like alternating from playing like high level competitive basketball and just throwing up in like a random visiting locker room. So, <laughs> uh, You know what? I think that would affect my performance as well. I- yeah. I'm, I'm not sh- I'm not sure what inc- what makes me inclined to say that it's it's more like a gut feeling, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Something deep down inside me, particularly around my stomach would uh, making me think that same thing. But 
man, this was an impressive performance by the women's team. It was a one-point win, but that's because Iowa State hit a meaningless three at the very end of regulation. Like, congrats, I guess. That's hilarious because they're fit. Credit to Iowa State fans. God help me for saying that. They traveled extraordinarily well to this game. Like this, there was a lot of red in Bramlage, and they celebrated hitting that last second three like they had just tied the game. And the entire student section just looked at them and basically just went, okay. <laughs> they probably actually thought that. Like, like, like there, there's a, they probably just like, reacted to like a buzzer beater being made like anybody normally would and just didn't really think about it but as kind of a flip on what happened uh during last year's k-state iowa state game on the men's side where k-state uh they uh end up losing uh by just one point but nigel pack hit like a half court three-point shot like as time expired uh so that that I guess that's a, a a very delayed and unusual revenge, I guess, because <laughs> it's something that I kind of forgotten happened. Uh, but yeah, they uh, K State women's basketball, man, they finally get that big win that they've been needing. Because I think if they lost that game, they're probably like the season is almost over at that point. Like I hate to say that but like i mean you would have been two and eight in big 12 play at that point you're hoping for the nit unless you went out but you know this is still probably not a march madness squad as things stand but they at the very least leave the door cracked if they go on an improbable run yeah and like i i do think that this is kind of just turned into an nit team a WNIT team, I suppose to say, because technically there is a distinction, but who cares? I, it, it, we, you can go back and listen to, I think it was probably what, two episodes ago where we talked about the, the issues this team was facing. Cause that's when we were, that's when we were on like a six game losing streak going into playing TCU. But yeah, I, this is a massive victory. Unfortunately, it doesn't really get easier because we play at Texas Tech versus Oklahoma. Oklahoma is always good versus Baylor. I, I'm not sure in my lifetime without Ayoka Lee, we will be beating Baylor <laughs> um, at TCU. Okay, that's a victory. If we lose to TCU, then sound the alarm bells. I'll say it again. Uh, They're versus- currently winless in Big 12 play. TCU is. Yep. So. Uh, versus KU in Bramlage at West Virginia at Oklahoma and then an L to lot to cap off the season against Texas. Uh, I I don't want to be a jerk about that, but no, we don't win those. <laughs> we just don't have the horses to compete with Texas right now. Uh, if we beat them, that would be one of the biggest upsets in school history. Like just in terms of like talent disparity and like tactics disparity and also just the way that they play against our style like we're just it's just a matchup nightmare for us in every single way you can possibly imagine like if we were to beat texas on senior day like that should be enough for an auto bid to the ncaa tournament even if we lose like the rest of our games other than that but see that yeah that's probably enough to honestly get us to do an episode like the night of (laughs) I would seriously consider doing that if we somehow managed to uh, take down Texas 
at the at the very end of the year. That would be absolutely incredible. But you know, that's that's the rest of the schedule. It's it's not an easy one. None, nothing in the Big Twelve ever is, uh, you know, except for like maybe playing KU and Baylor in baseball. But even then, it, we talked about baseball last week. <laughs> so that leads us into the wacky segment of the week. And this wacky segment of the week is if you could pick one building on campus to renovate to your own design, which building are you choosing? And you cannot choose a Hearn. Yep. I think that was a good um, exception to make, uh, not a Hearn, uh, because I think that that's kind of the like obvious pick. Um, and I'm also taking campus to be an academic building as well, generally yeah. speaking, because like, if you want to get technical, like the athletics complex is like not really on campus. It's like kind of off. It's a campus adjacent, I suppose. But yeah. um, that there's a lot of buildings, I think, that you could uh, say to to renovate uh, or to change in some way. Like there's some buildings that are like kind of dumps that need to be uh, really picked up. I think uh, buildings like Eisenhower or uh, Kedzie is one that really needs a facelift. Um, plenty of buildings on campus, but I ultimately am going with Bluemont because I despise that building and how it looks. I had Did one class in put- there <laughs> and it was so depressing because there were just not any windows. And well, actually I had two classes in there and neither had windows. So point stands. In fact, it's actually enforced, but I, um, uh, I, I really dislike how that building looks. I know that it's like, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of architects like it because it's brutalist. I know that some art, architects really like brutalism. It's like architectural like design theory, but I, I think it can be done well, but I generally think it just looks bad and or lazy. And I think that Bluemont is both of those because it's just a big limestone block with no character nothing's really done for it. it's a lazy interior design as well there's so much that could be done with that space and instead we just have like the equivalence of like a traversable lego brick as our building we, we and put a minecraft block on campus bro we seriously did we just put a big old minecraft hut it, it's like we took the style of building that you would make in like your first three days on like a new minecraft world and then just never did anything else to it. But I I really don't like Bluemont. Um, luckily, I didn't have to spend too much time in there. But I think you pretty much completely demolish it and put something new there. I don't know exactly what it would be. Uh, but I, whatever it is, it would almost certainly be better as long as they adhere to what I would consider to be like traditional campus design principles because some of the newer buildings don't do that as much as i'd like they're a little bit too modern i don't think they fit the the campus aesthetic i get new what you're going for new seaton i don't even it's not even new seaton i'm talking about i mainly think about we honestly um but Ooh, yeah yeah i don't mind the architecture building doing its own thing because they're the they're architects they can do what they want with their design it makes <laughs> sense honestly like like it honestly makes sense for them but I want more building, like I want newer buildings that kind of follow the design principles of some of the older buildings because I think those are kind of the iconic ones on campus, your Hales and Andersons. Uh, so if it were me, I would want 
something more castle looking, I guess, is kind of what I'm ultimately so getting at here. A limestone, like castle, wait, what is it? Like nickels, kind of, yeah, like nickels, maybe more so closer to the hail design than like nickels where it's actually just a castle. But like, <laughs> but like probably somewhere in between those two leaning towards hail, uh, not as big as hail, but something similar design, probably more vertical than hail as well, I'd imagine, just to kind of fit the space a little bit better. But just something more aesthetically pleasing and welcoming than big, smoothed out limestone block that nobody really seems to like that much other than like some architecture snobs. And that's not even me just like throwing a jab at all architects. It's it's just the ones that think Bloomon is like super cool because like it's just a depressing building in pretty much every imaginable way. Yeah. So I... I'm not going to give as in-depth an answer as that because I'm not as insightful as that. I It did come down to me to being Kedzie, Eisenhower, Calvin. I ended up choosing Calvin Hall because it's it's my home and it was Connor's former home. He was a poli-sci major. I am a history major with a minor in political science. So I spend pretty all of my classes this semester are in Calvin Hall. And Cal- don't misunderstand me. Calvin's Hall is not like, it's not like this run down, terrible. It's not Eisenhower. It's, it's just, it has a few things that are really annoying. And it's also the center of like two of the biggest majors on campus that doesn't get like its own designated building. So like, I, I guess you could say the same thing with modern languages and Eisenhower. And I think the the grad programs and Eisenhower's, but at the same time, no, I, I just want Calvin more because I don't feel like Eisenhower or Kedzie can really be saved. So yeah. Yeah, Calvin's a pretty cool building, but Kedzie might need to be condemned. Like yeah. at least like a part of it. That building's in tough shape. Yeah. So I I just fixed the HVAC to where if you're on the second floor, you don't hear constant banging in Calvin. Probably, you know, give the Give the professors an upgraded office space to where they actually get central as opposed to the the uh, the window units that a lot of them have. But yeah, I'd, I'd just pick Calvin because it's it's the closest thing to it, like a house on campus I have. You know, because yeah, that's a good a pick. Honestly, Calvin Calvin's a pretty cool looking building on the outside, I think. I mean, although I think that's pretty universal across a lot of college campuses is that the old buildings look really cool on the outside, but they just aren't really maintained on the, uh, the inside. But uh, I, I like those older style uh, college buildings. Um, I like there's a place for the stuff that looks newer and nicer, but the, I do have a really soft spot for uh, some of those buildings that are older and adhere to those older like architectural principles and use more like of the like, regional stone and stuff and also kind of more decorative on the outside i think like like they do them more engravings like and like the stones and whatnot like there's a lot more like you can tell a lot of labor of love was put into it but yeah yeah that with that that pretty much wraps up this episode of the aggieville alley cats podcast thank you all so much for listening if you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Aggieville Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C and Cats. If you want to email the show, we are AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ACEdwards00. I'm at Connor Bouts, or capital C, capital B. 
And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as the staff-approved Doom Tang Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.